0: friends, we come to Second Chronicles, the 33rd chapter. We're now going to look at a day that was comparable to the day we're living in. We saw the reign of Hezekiah and the revival that took place under Hezekiah. And it was said of him that he was the best king after David, that he was more like David than any other king and that he was the outstanding one. Now, after him, we saw that Hezekiah died, and then his son, Manasseh, came to the throne. Now, all of us, at least many of us today, when we read last time that this man Hezekiah was sick unto death, had some sort of a boil on the back of his neck, Apparently, it could have been cancer. He prayed to God, and Isaiah prayed with him, and God extended his life 15 years. Now, that was a gracious dispensation on the part of God in answer to prayer. But when you look at it in the full light of the history that followed, you wonder whether it was the best thing that could have taken place. We've called attention before to this. For instance, it was during that period after God spared his life that he displayed the wealth of his kingdom to the ambassadors from Babylon, which, by the way, opened the door later on for Nebuchadnezzar to come and take the city because he knew where the goal was, and he took it by force. That was the Fort Knox of that day. The thing is, today, they, no one is attacking Fort Knox. They tell me the security there is unbelievable, the different things they have. But the goal's leaking out. The nations of the world that weren't able to get it one way, that is by attack, they are getting it another way today. Well, Later on, Babylon came and took the goal, and this on the part of Hezekiah was a very foolish thing, and we'll go into this in detail when we get to Isaiah, for Isaiah dwells upon this feature, whereas it's not dwelt upon here at all. Then we find that something else took place. You'll notice that it says here that Manasseh was 12 years old. When he began to reign, God extended this man's life 15 years so that this boy Manasseh was born during that period. Now, Manasseh was the worst king that lived. My feeling is that Manasseh in that brief period in which he was so godless that God had to intervene He'd gone to such extremes that he's the worst king. I read now in chapter 33, verse 1, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. But did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So here you have a strange feature, and that is, here is the man that is the best king, led in a great revival, and that's Hezekiah. His son comes to the throne, and he's the worst king of all. Now, how do you explain that? And I'm going to let you in on a secret. I'm not going to explain it because I cannot explain it. Because around me today, I see things happening I can't explain like that. And this is what I mean. It comes to our attention periodically. It did as a pastor. It does now here on radio of very fine Christian parents. Fact of the matter is they're outstanding Christian parents. And then they have a son or daughter, and many times it's a daughter. And these two, or either one it might be, and sometimes it's both, they become hippies of the worst sort. Now, hippies are going out of style, understand. They will come up, of course, with a new name, but it's all the same crowd. But the interesting thing is that this group that have appeared of young people across the land, It was easy to explain them. That is, they were neglected at home. They saw godless, materialistic parents fighting all the time, getting divorces, living for self, selfishness, and the youth rebelled against it and walked out on it. I can understand that, but the exceptions to the rule have really disturbed me. Why is it that in a lovely Christian home, here is a boy or a girl, and all of a sudden they walk out, and they become the worst type of hippies? Well, there are two things I think that we can say, and I recognize how feeble these things are. First is, they've been influenced by the youth that are around them, because all young people go through a period when they think feel that their parents are stupid. And I don't care whose they are. I never shall forget my own experience along that line. When I went away to college, I was almost ashamed to come home and to carry on a conversation with those at home because they just didn't know as much, you see. And that's a period that youth goes through. And a young fellow told me this. And when I say a young fellow, he's a young preacher. He says, you know, when I went away to college, he said, I was ashamed of my dad. He called him my old man. He said, he just didn't seem to know anything. And I seemed to be pretty smart. And he said, you know, that I graduated from college and started in the minister, and I began to face problems. And he said, I had to work my way through college, and I was rubbing up against some pretty hard situation. And he says, you know, my dad, in spite of the fact of how stupid he was, he made a good living, and he was a marvelous provider. We had a wonderful home. And he said, you know, I couldn't quite understand how he did it. Then he said, I got out, and I began to face these problems. Then he said, I went home for a visit. He said, you'd be surprised how much my dad had learned in those few years. said, I came to the conclusion he was a pretty smart man. Now, I think all young people go through that period. And I can understand that in a Christian home, that during that period, young people are influenced by this crowd outside that have walked out of their homes. I recognize that that is an explanation. Then another feature is that I believe if they've come out of Christian homes and especially they've made a profession of faith, that you're going to find out that those young people are going to return back to the Lord. And I think we're going to see this in the man we're looking at right here. Now... This is also the period that I believe that the Shekinah glory left the temple. Ezekiel saw the vision of the Shekinah glory because of the sins of the people and their rebellion lifted up and it removed from the Holy of Holies and then moved out to the walls of Jerusalem and waited again. The people did not turn back to God. And then the Shekinah glory withdrew to the Mount of Olives and waited there. And then there was no movement on the part of the people toward God. The Shekinah glory was caught back up into heaven. And Ichabod was written over the threshold of the temple. And the glory had departed. And now their house was indeed left unto them desolate. Now, when did that take place? Most expositors. I know that my teachers all felt that it took place at the captivity later on. I don't feel that's accurate. If the Shekinah glory did not leave during the reign of Manasseh, I just can't see any other period that would cause the Shekinah glory, the presence of God to remain. I believe this was the time. Now, I want you to notice this man. He was 12 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 50 and five years in Jerusalem. Now, God always gives to the sinner ample opportunity to turn to him, always. This man reigned much longer than others. Why? Longer than David, longer than Solomon, longer than his own father. Why? Well, because God always gives to the evil man ample opportunity. God is merciful. He's long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish. And after all, God has plenty of time on his hands. He's got eternity back of him. He's got eternity ahead of him. And he's in no hurry, my friend. You think you were going to push God or going to rush him? going to move him. I sometimes hear someone pray or someone say that, no, if you just go right to God, he'll just begin to move. He may. and again, he may not. He'll take his time. He's in no hurry. Now, will you notice? we we'll read now verse 2 again. But he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Now, we were told that back in Second Kings, the 21st chapter, concerning this man. God is emphasizing, and we're getting God's viewpoint in Chronicles. So this man, from God's viewpoint, was an evil man. I read on, verse 3, "...for he built again the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down." "...and he reared up altars for Balaam, and made groves, and worshipped all the host of heaven, and served them." Now this man went into idolatry in a big way. He's as bad as Ahab and Jezebel. He worshipped Balaam, which they did. And we're told here, "...and he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord." Now, he introduced into the temple in Jerusalem the worship of the hosts of heaven, like the worship of Jupiter, the worship of Mercury, the worship of Venus, the worship of all of the stars of heaven. In other words, he established the horoscope there. You could have got your horoscope in the temple in that day. And I'm very sorry to have to say that some churches actually promote this type of thing. And one of the big businesses today, that you can go even to the five and ten cent store and buy a horoscope. I personally do not know what all of it means. Somebody says it's just innocent fun. It's not for a lot of people. They put more confidence in this than they put in God today. I heard an interview on television some time ago in which a movie star they say they don't have any now but she's considered quite outstanding and she made the statement that she had been looking at her horoscope and she was a Virgo and the girl's been married five or six times and apparently has had quite a few affairs and I would not think that she was a Virgo by any manner of calculation She could be something else. She could be a Taurus or something else, but not a Virgo. Anyway, that's what she said. And she felt like that when the star crossed that star, well, that was quite something, friends. Now, it's amazing that in our day, that intelligent, at least they pass as intelligent people, get interested in that. He went all the way in idolatry, friends, And we're told here, and he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. This is one of the lowest. Now, how far he went, there were different degrees of that. You could actually let them pass through in the sense they only got singed good. Or the idol could be heated and a baby was just put right down in the arms of that red hot idol. You just can't think of anything quite as bad as that. But that was the idolatry, and this man seems to have gone all the way. Also, he observed times, and he used enchantments, and used witchcraft, and he dealt with a familiar spirit, and with wizards. He brought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Now, we're seeing, along with this spiritual movement that is abroad today, We're seeing actually, friends, a turn back to satanic worship. I do not have time to develop that, but it's around us today. Now we're told he set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God, which God had said to David and Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I've chosen before all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever, neither will I any more remove the foot of Israel from out of the land which I have appointed for your fathers so that they will take heed to do all that I have commanded them according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinance by the hand of Moses. Now, God had said that if these people would worship him and be faithful to him, that he would bless them. Now, notice what Manasseh is doing. And we're told Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err, and to do worse than the heathen, whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, they would not hearken. Now, they have reached the depths. And you can be sure when a man or a nation reaches this place, God will move. So what happened? Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the hosts of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns, and bound him with fetters, carried him to Babylon. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, and prayed unto him, and he was entreated of him, and heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem, into his kingdom, then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. Now, this man had a remarkable experience. I would have given him up. I'm sure maybe many of you would have given him up. God did not give him up, but God sent trouble and plenty of it to him, and he's carried away captive. Now, this should have been a warning the nation, that God now was getting ready to send the southern kingdom into captivity because of their continual sin. And this man, though, comes back and apparently came back to God in a very real way. And yet he was very much of a weakling, generally these men are. And we're told, verse 17, nevertheless, the people did sacrifice, still in the high places, yet unto the Lord their God only. In other words, the people never did truly come back to God. Now, this man reigned all this time, and we're told that God had heard his prayer, and it reveals how gracious God is. Now, here is a son of godly parents who comes back to God after going to the very limit. That's Manasseh. Now, that ought to be an encouragement to some that are listening to me today. You've got a son and a daughter. As a man told me some time ago, I have a daughter and I don't know where she is. Another man told me I have a son. He knows where he is. And he says that he's gone the very limit. Well, Manasseh did. In my book, I would have given him up. All right, now, Manasseh, God heard his prayer. And we're told here that Manasseh slept with his fathers. They buried him in his own house. Ammon, his son, reigned in his stead. Now notice, the evil that this man had done as a young man affected his son. And I can understand now why his son went off as he did. Verse 21, Ammon was two and twenty years old when he began to reign and reigned two years in Jerusalem. A very good friend of mine. He and his wife, they were folk of means, and they lived it up. And then they were converted, but their children were grown. Then after that batch of children got away from home, and they certainly were away from God, he had other children after he was saved. The ones that he's had since he was saved, they're godly, wonderful children. The other gone the limit. And now this boy, Ammon, He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as did Manasseh's father. For Ammon sacrificed unto all the carved images which Manasseh, his father, had made and served them. You see, he went in the footsteps of his father in the early days. He humbled not himself before the Lord as Manasseh's father had humbled himself, but Ammon trespassed more and more. Now his servants conspired against him and slew him in his own house. But the people of the land slew all them that had conspired against Ammon, and the people of the land made Josiah his son king in his stead. Now, friends, we come to the 34th chapter, and we begin here with the reign of Josiah and the last revival that took place before the captivity, and it's at the end of the line, and it's amazing that it did take place. It's after the reign of Manasseh and the reign of Ammon, and you've got two men there that really plunged that nation into idolatry and sin. You'd think there's no hope at all. But there's always hope, and this again is another case of where in matters of revival the Holy Spirit is sovereign, and I do not know whether we'll have a revival in our day or not. I do not preclude the possibility for the very simple reason that here was a time when I would have said that they couldn't have had revival, and humanly speaking they couldn't. But the Spirit of God is sovereign, and God moved in. God could move in today, and there's nothing in the Word of God that would preclude that possibility, and we need to recognize that. There are those today that feel like when man said to me, the trouble with you men that believe in prophecy and emphasize the terrible days that are coming, while you have no place for revival. Well, I think we do. I just feel like the others don't have any place for revival at all. And the reason I say that is because they're trying to work it up themselves. My friend, you can't work it up or pray it down. The Spirit of God is sovereign. And our prayer ought to be today, Lord, put me in the will of God. And as we said the other day, let's make sure our own lives are right before God. This idea that we're going to get God to do something, and nothing's going to happen to us. We need to straighten our own lives out before God, and there are a lot of questions we need to ask ourselves. Am I honest? Am I truthful? Am I pure? What about it? No use you talking about revival and me talking about revival, as long as we're actually not getting right in our own hearts before God. We need to be right, and then we can look to the Spirit of God in a sovereign way and ask him to move according to his will. Now let's look here at Josiah, because God marvelously used him. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. That's the first verse of the thirty-fourth chapter. And the second verse goes like this. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of David, his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. Now, we have the question asked today, what is right and what is wrong? And there are some funny answers that are being given today. Well, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. It's what God says is right. And it's what God says is wrong. You know, it's God that divided the light from the darkness. And I'd like to see you divide light from darkness. You can't do it. You and I, we go into a room, we turn on the light, and that room was as dark as it could be. And what happened to the darkness when we turned the light on? It got out of there some way. And we can't divide it. We can't run a line down and say, on this side it's light, on that side it's dark. But God can do that. And it's God who says it's right, and it's God who says it's wrong. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And we're told, verse 3, "...for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he was 16 years old, he began to seek after the God of David his father, And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. Now, this young man, when he was 16 years old, began to seek God. I've said this before, repeated again, this movement we're seeing today, I don't call it revival, but it's sure a movement, and it's a spiritual movement, and it's largely among young people, it's not confined to them. But it is among them, and I have had the happy experience. In fact, ever since I retired, now I never saw this in the church, but since I've retired, I've been in many, many places. In fact, I've been around the world, and we've traveled many thousands of miles and spoken in many places. And I want to testify to you today and say, that I have never seen the number of young people, young married couples, that are interested today in the Word of God. Now, any of you that listen to me, you know I'm a squire. And that I just teach the Word of God. having haven't any gimmicks. I don't entertain. If somebody thinks that the Bible's entertaining. I think it is too, but I'm not attempting to use any method like that other than just to teach the Word of God And I've seen these young couples, these young people coming in. They'll sit all over the place. And every place we've been, we've seen this. And it is a movement today. And this is not strange. Back in Josiah's day, he's 16 years old. He began to study the Word of God. That was unusual. When he's 20 years old and he's a king, he begins to bring about reformation in the land. You see revival will lead to reformation. When Christ said to that man, take up your bed and walk, he said, your sins are forgiven you. My friends, you're going to walk away from your sins if you're converted. And if the Bible comes today, we're not going to have this problem of divorce. We're not going to have this problem of sex today. We're going to see a tremendous change take place. And God can do it, by the way. And God may do it. This is a great encouragement, this section. It's the reason I've dwelt here as much as we have. Now we're told here, and I drop down now in verse 8. Now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land, now notice he was eight years when he began. Now he's reigned 18 years, which means that he had 18 to 8. He's 26 years old. He purged the land and the house. He sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Maaseiah the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder to repair the house of the Lord his God. And again, it fell into disrepair under old Manasseh, his grandfather, and Ammon his father. And when they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought the house of God, which the Levites that kept the Doas had gathered of the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim. Now, this is the tribes, and of all the remnant of Israel, and of all Judah and Benjamin, and they returned to Jerusalem. Now, you'll find that actually some of these tribes that had been taken into captivity that are called the lost tribes, they sure weren't lost here because they're sending money in. And when you get money from someone, they're sure not lost. There's In my experience, by the way, now we're told that the house of God was repaired. And notice what happened. Verse 14, and when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Now, you see, there weren't many copies. King had a copy, priest had a copy, might have been a few others around. But the word of God had been lost at this time. And Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan. And Shaphan carried the book to the king and brought the king word back again, saying, All it was committed to thy servants. They do it. And they've gathered together the money that was found in the house of the Lord. They've delivered it into the hand of the overseers, to the hand of the workmen. Now notice what's going to happen. And. Somebody's going to say, well, this is just right down your alley. Sure is. And it's not really down my alley. I believe this is God's alley. that he wants us to go down. It's the reason I'm trying to go down it. Will you listen very carefully? Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the law that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Abdon the son of Micah and Shaphan the scribe and Asaiah a servant of the king saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for them that are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that is found for great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after all that's written in this book. Now, you see, a return to the word of God, that brings revival. And nothing else will bring revival. Now, we have not seen revival in our day. And the reason is simple in my book. And that is, the church has neglected the Word of God. We've tried gimmicks. We've tried everything known. They try this new music today. I don't think any of these things are going to bring revival but the Word of God. Now, all kinds of methods are being adopted today. And nothing is happening as far as they are concerned. It doesn't come that way. It comes when the Spirit of God in a sovereign way moves in when people return to the word of God and find out what God has to say. That is what we need today. Now, they read in the book of the law. They lost it. And how can you have a revival like that? Now, notice verse 22, And Hilkiah and they that the king had appointed went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalem the son of Tikvath, the son of Hasra, keeper of the wardrobe. Now, she dwelt in Jerusalem in the college, and they spake to her to that effect. She answered them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell ye the man that sent you to me, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I'll bring evil upon this place, and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the curses that are written in the book, which they've read before the king of Judah." "...because they've forsaken me, they burned incense unto other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands." Now, God says, I intend to judge these people. And now her prophecy is, verse 27, "...because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God when thou heardest his words." against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof. And humblest thyself before me, didst rend thy clothes weep before me. I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. Behold, I'll gather thee to thy fathers. Thou shalt be gathered to thy grave in peace. Neither shall thine eyes see all the evil that I'll bring upon the place. And upon the inhabitants of the same. So they brought the king word again. Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the Levite, and all the people great and small. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place, and he made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord. keep his commandments and his testimonies, his statutes, with all his heart, with all his soul, and perform the words of the covenant which are written in this book. Now, my friend, let me be very candid, very matter-of-fact, and very direct. I believe today we could have revival. They'll have to first return to the Word of God and find out what God wants us to do. Then I believe there will and must be a total commitment of God's people to God. None of this half-hearted service that we see today, none of this business today of trying to go with the world and trying to go with God. It's impossible to do both. There must be a clear-cut dedication of heart and life to God. And when that takes place, I think the Spirit of God can begin to move. But he can't move till these things take place. And they'll have to take place. Now they celebrated the Passover. They found out about it. There must be obedience to God, and the Passover speaks of the death of Christ. There is a return to the fact that there must be a redemption made for our sins, and Christ must be exalted. Now we come to the death of this man. Even a godly man like this makes mistakes, all human beings do. And what happened? We are told, verse 17, the children of Israel that were present kept the Passover at that time, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, seven days. There was no Passover like to that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet. Neither did all the kings of Israel keep such a Passover as Josiah kept. And the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel that were present, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, this was great. But what happened? Well, this is what happened after all this. This is verse 20. When Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish by Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. He should have stayed home. (laughs) He had no business engaging in this war, and he went up to Megiddo. And at Megiddo, what happened? Verse 23. The archer shot at King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, have me away, for I am sore wounded. His servants, therefore, took him out of that chariot, put him in the second chariot that he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died, was buried in one of the sepulchres of his father. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Now notice this, and Jeremiah lamented for Josiah. And all the singing men, the singing women, spake of Josiah in their lamentations to this day. And this is the end of the revival, of course. And what happens, and I'll have to say this hurriedly, Jehoahaz came to the throne, reigned three months, and he was a rascal, and they put him out. And the king of Babylon now has come against the land. Then Jehoiakim becomes king. He reigns 11 years. And then Jehoiachin. And he reigned three months; he didn't last very long. Then Zedekiah's uncle comes to the throne, and he reigns eleven years. He's the last king and now Nebuchadnezzar's knocked at the door. he's done more than that he's pushed over the wall. burnt Jerusalem. They've gone now into captivity. Now. Here's God's explanation. Will you listen to God? Verse fifteen? Of chapter 36, And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. They mocked the messengers of God and despised his words, misused his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, till there was no remedy. Therefore he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees, who slew their young man with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, had no compassion upon young man or maiden, old man, or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand, and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king. And of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burnt the house of God broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burnt all the palaces thereof with fire, destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sowed, carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the king of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. You see, God accomplished a twofold purpose. And God always has many things in mind in anything that he does. First of all, they had rejected the prophets, and they were living on borrowed time, and God would have been justified to have sent them into captivity a hundred years before this. I wonder if our nation is not living on borrowed time today. How much longer can we go, friend? Well, the nation Israel, their time has come, and there's no remedy now. And there is a time when a nation reaches that. But not only that, for 490 years, they had not observed the sabbatic years. That is, the land wasn't lying fallow. God says, you just can't plan it. They thought they got by with it. They got by with nothing. Why, 490 years went by. Now, God says, I'll put you out of the land 70 years. And that's the reason it was 70 years. So the land will enjoy its Sabbaths. You see, God, my friend, is not mocked. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man, sows, that shall he also reap. Now you have a decree to rebuild the temple We'll pick up that when we come back to the book of Ezra. So until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved.